Shalom, and welcome to Kehilat Rosh Pina, a dynamic, multicultural, and growing Messianic Jewish congregation located in the heart of Oklahoma City and led by Rabbi Michael Weigand. Our goal is to bring you the message of the Word each week from a Jewish perspective and to exalt Messiah Yeshua as Lord and Savior overall. We are a loving congregation made up of both Jew and Gentile, now one in the Messiah, with Shabbat morning services at 10.40 a.m. and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoy today's message. My message today is coming from the portion that we just talked about. For those who are not familiar, let's talk about the portions. We, we put it out on our website. Um, all of Judaism, this is when they, this is the, uh, the uh, part of the, the Messianic Jewish part of the Messianic Jewish part, right? Is that uh, all of Judaism follows the portions. They have since the time of, uh, it's, it's attributed back to, to Ezra. So the, they've split up the Torah into various portions. Today is Balak, the destroyer. It's a very popular uh, portion. Um, the Haftorah portion, so there's always a part from the prophets and the writings, and that comes from Micah, and it's one of the favorites with the, uh, what does your Lord require of you but to do justly, and uh, anyway. Um, and then there's also, we add the Brit Hadesha portion, the New, new Covenant, um, that's not quite a set in stone. In the Haftorah portions, you've got some Ashkenazi and Sephardic differences, you know, two major groups within Judaism. There's more than that in the, in the uh, Brit Hadashah. Uh, Hadasha. um, but um, the reading we have this year with this portion is in 1 Corinthians 1, 20 through 31. I bring that up because as we're going through this, what I've titled my talk is God has chosen the foolish to shame the wise. And let's go to 1 Corinthians 1, 27, which comes from our reading today. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. It's said Old Testament, New Testament. This is repeated frame, refrain. Um, it's not new to us. But... For those of you familiar with this particular portion, you might guess where some of this is going to go. So, let's talk now. Our portion begins in Numbers 22.2. And Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. So, to catch everybody up, they just had warred, and they had defeated a couple of armies. And... Uh, the neighbors were a little bit worried. Balak was one of the neighbors. Moab, he was the king of Moab, and he sent to Midian, and they decided that they were going to lose. He looked at them and said, oh my gosh, I can't stand up against them if you beat my neighbors. So he said, well, I need an advantage. So I'm going to send for Balaam, in particular, and he's, several words are attributed to him, soothsayer, uh, at any rate, Balaam, he sent for Balaam to curse the Israelites so that Moab and Midian would prevail in the battle against them. He didn't think without Balaam's help that he was going to make it, get it done. 
So let's go to Numbers 22, 5 through 6. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor at Pethor, or Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that whom he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. This was, of course, what Moab was saying to uh, Balaam. So Moab and Midian tell Balaam, they say, they know, I love the word know there, they know that he whom he blesses is blessed, and he whom he curses is cursed. So right up front, we are told Moab and Midian's intentions. They want Israel cursed. No question, that's their whole intention in sending for Balaam. And again, Moab and Midian know Balaam can bless and curse and that it's going to happen. They don't say how they knew. But there must be some credible testimony. He's got a reputation. And he seems to have had some success. That's why they're sending for him. They're willing to pay some, some money here. This also happens today, I want to point out, with many prophets and healers, right? I mean, they have a name. They have a reputation. There are testimonies attached to them. Not always accurate, but it's out there. This is not such a far-out concept because that happens today. The phrasing, though, is interesting to me when it talks about whoever he blesses is blessed and whoever he curses is cursed. Immediately, that makes me think of God talking to Abraham. So if we go back to Genesis 12:3, we can see when God was talking to Abraham. He says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Very familiar to us in this congregation. Very familiar throughout all of Christendom, I, I would think. Uh, all, all of Judaism, for sure. And if this was the first time we were going through this story, we might actually think, oh my gosh, they're setting up this battle. Who's going to prevail? but we've read it before, and we know who wins, and we know that it's not even a battle, really. So Moab and Midian give all the glory to Balaam, right? How will Balaam reply? Let's go to Numbers 22, 7 through 12. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. So they, they sent some significant people and some money, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said unto them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord, and capital L-O-R-D, so this is Hashem, this is, this is God, as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Then God came to Balaam and said, who are these men with you? And, and I always love any interaction with God. I, I think he always starts with a question, practically. <laughs> so, who are these men with you? So, Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me to me, saying, Look, a people has come out of Egypt, and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I will be able to overpower them and drive them out. That's a faithful representation of what they were told. And God said to Balaam, 
you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. Now, you would have thought that would have been the end of the story. Balaam is asked to curse Israel, and God has said no. Israel is blessed. There's not much wiggle room in this, right? It's pretty plain. But it doesn't stop there. He tells them that he can't go with them, and there's some back and forth. They send even more people with a little bit better, little bit better reputation, a little bit more money, and they come back, and the Lord reaches out to Balaam. He does go with them. He agrees to go with them. The Lord gives his, his permission. But the Lord reaches out to Balaam in a very interesting way. Let us go to Numbers 22, starting at verse 22. Then God's anger was aroused because he, Balaam, went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. I, I think we all kind of realize being against the angel of the Lord is not a good position to be in. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his strong sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside, out of the way, and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on one side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and she crushed Balaam's foot, crushed it against the wall so that he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and he stood in a narrow place and there was no way to either turn to the right hand or to the left. And so the donkey, when he saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. And now Balaam's anger is aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. So an interesting story, no doubt at this point. Um, God is trying to uh, get Balaam's attention. It seems that he is now aroused. So let's focus, though, a little bit on the donkey. What is the donkey doing? The donkey is carrying Balaam, right? He's doing what the donkey is supposed to do. The donkey is doing his job. He hasn't done anything wrong. The donkey actually sees the angel of the Lord, but Balaam does not. Really interesting when you realize that Balaam is supposed to be this great soothsayer that he talks to the Lord, but he doesn't see the angel of the Lord. The donkey does. The donkey turns to avoid danger and saving both himself and also Balaam three times. And each time the donkey saves Balaam, Balaam's response is to hit the donkey. So this is where it turns into one of the uni most unique stories in the Bible. Numbers 28, or 22, 28. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Also opens with a question, and I think a very reasonable question. The donkey calmly asks Balaam a question. What have you done? To, why, why do you, what have I done to justify you hitting me? Now, from the donkey's perspective, he saw danger and saved them three times. It's a perfectly reasonable thing to ask. Why are you hitting me? But Balaam doesn't see it that way, not yet at least. And he is still furious. So his response in verse 29, And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me. I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. 
my wife, anyway, we were talking about, she says, well, that's it's not really the fruit of the Spirit, is it? You know, I mean, <laughs> so, so he's not even, I mean, he's talking to a donkey, but he hasn't gotten to the place of rationality yet, right? Now, so Balaam did not answer the question. You know, the donkey said, what have I done for you to strike me these times? And Balaam just said, you know, that, that he was abused, you know. Um, so he doesn't answer. He perceives, he perceives this all totally from his own hurt. You abused me, not thank you for saving me. He even doubles down telling the donkey he wants to kill him. So the next verse, verse 30. So the donkey says to Balaam, am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? Again, asking questions very calmly and reasonably. At this, finally, Balaam is calming down, I guess, because he, he does answer him this time. He says, no. So, so the donkey's been a good donkey. He's done what donkeys do. And the donkey continues his calm questioning. Um, Balaam uh, was asked, had the donkey ever acted this way in the past? And he has to admit, no, that he hasn't. And at that point, the Lord opens Balaam's eyes. So, Numbers 22, verses 31 through 35. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. That's also the right response. And the angel of the Lord said to him, a question, why have you struck your donkey these three times? It's the same question the donkey asked. Maybe we know who's speaking through the donkey. <laughs> Behold, he adds some additional information. Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me three times, these three times. If she had not turned away from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Therefore, if it displease you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with these men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went to the princes of Balak. So that's a setup of this story. So Balaam's eyes are open. He now understands what's going on with the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord explained, and I thought this was extremely uh, interesting. He, ex he went on to explain, he didn't even need to do this part, that I was going to kill you, but I wasn't going to kill the donkey. The donkey was coming out of this, okay. Because <laughs> the, donkey, the donkey did what he was supposed to do, right? The donkey was obedient. You got to love the donkey. So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 1.20. Seven, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Clearly, God chose the donkey, a foolish thing, to put to shame Balaam, a supposed wise man. We know it was God speaking to Balaam because the angel of the Lord comes around in the name of the Lord and always speaks his word. And the angel of the Lord is a manifestation of God in this world. Many theologians believe that the angel of the Lord is a manifestation of Messiah Yeshua prior to his life 
in the image of a man. Why did all this, why did this, all, this whole incident, why did it all take place? Why is it even recorded in Scripture? None of the Israelites are there. They don't know about any of this. They have to be told this. Moses must have been told this later for him to write this down because none of them are there. So why did it happen? Well, the incident with the donkey should have shamed Balaam. I mean, here he is. He, he receives the word of the Lord. The fate of nations, right, rise and fall with the words that he speaks. Kings and leaders seek his services. They pay him handsomely. And yet the donkey sees more, understands more, and saves his life. The incident also warned Balaam, again, in pretty strong terms, to speak only the words God puts into his mouth. So his path is clear. God will tell him what to say. And he knows at this point Israel is blessed and will not be cursed. The incident hints at the foreknowledge of God because he knows Balaam's intentions. He knows what Balaam, Balaam will do, say and do. He's not ever caught by surprise. And he wants to show Balaam that he has no excuse for his actions, and he also wants to reiterate his love for Israel. I believe it also even shows his love for Balaam. He's trying to turn him, even though he knows where Balaam's going to go. So, let's go to back to Balaam himself. After meeting Balaam, Balak in Moab, that's, he just goes on to meet Balak, they go to the top of a mountain, and Moab builds seven altars. They offer sacrifice, and Balaam speaks the Lord's words. So let's go to those verses and hear the first time this happens. Numbers 23, starting at verse 7. And he took up his parable and said, Balak, the king of Moab, brought me from Aram out of the mountains of the east, saying, Come, curse me, Jacob, and come, defy Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? Or how shall I defy whom the Lord hath not defied? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. Lo, the people shall dwell alone and shall not be reckoned among the nations. I think that was interesting because that turns out to be pretty true. <laughs> They've always been a separate people. They've always managed to keep their identity. Verse 10, who can count the dust of Jacob and the number of the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the righteous and let my last end be like his. So there are a vast people. As Balak was describing before, they cover the whole face of the earth, right? I mean, they are a, a large number of people at this point. Well, we remember that that was one of the blessings given to Abraham. So that was the first time they tried. So Balaam cannot curse Israel, but Balaam and Balak try again. Balak's not, not done. So they go to another mount. They do another seven altars. What happens this time? Now we're in verse, or chapter 23, verses 18 through 24. 
Oh, we're still in verse, I'm sorry, we're still in verse, chapter 23. And he took up his parable and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Hearken unto me, thou son of Zippor. And this is a scripture I use all the time. 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. We, we get some important doctrine here. He ain't like us. No matter how much you hear people think that they are like God, they are not. God does not lie. He, hath he said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall not he make it good? Verse 20. Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath, beheld iniquity, he hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. He has, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. Surely there is no enchantment against Jacob, neither is there any divination against Israel. According to this time, it shall be said of Jacob and of Israel, what hath God wrought? I love that phrase. That's uh, for all the, all the oldies in the room. You know, we know that that was uh, the first thing that was said over the, the telephone. You know, that was, uh, it's kind of neat. Behold, the people shall rise up as a great lion and lift himself up as a young lion. He shall not lie down until he eat of the prey and drink of the blood, the, drink the blood of the slain. Well, this is getting a little bit more serious. God is much more specific this time in the words that Balaam speaks. He has blessed Israel. He doesn't change. He speaks and fulfills. God ends with a warning this time. Israel shall rise up as a great lion, as, as a great lion eat of the prey. Well, they're about to go into the promised land. God's already told them that they will prevail in the promised land. Again, this is a reiteration of the promises given to Abraham, really, that are being spoken out. More information given with them, but it's really the blessing that was given to Abraham, wasn't it? And if you were going to try to beat them in battle, not only are they not cursed, but they're going to win. And, and, and they're being told straight up, right? Um, but Balak and Balaam persist. Now we're in chapter 24, I'm sorry. Starting at verse 3. This is the third time he tries to curse Israel. And he took up his parable and said, Balaam, the son of Beor, hath said, and the, the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God, which saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes open, <laughs> we sing this. This is a part of the liturgy. How goodly are thy tents, O Jacob, and thy tabernacles, O Israel. It's kind of interesting that we actually have a liturgical prayer that said weekly that actually comes from the mouth of this pagan who's trying to curse Israel. As the valleys are spread forth as gardens by the riverside, as the trees of Lin aloes, which the Lord hath planted as the cedar trees beside the waters. He shall pour the water out of the buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. 
God brought him forth out of Egypt. He has, hath, as it were, the strength of a unicorn. He shall lead up the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them through with arrows. He couched, he lay down as a lion, and as a great lion, who shall stir him up? And here's the payoff. Blessed is he that blesses thee, and cursed is he that curseth thee. Well, <laughs> just like Balaam, who was so angry when the donkey was speaking to him, uh, Balak is unhappy. He's done. But what's interesting is that Balaam, even though Balak has just lost his mind at this point, Balaam leaves Balak with an unsolicited word from the Lord, right? <laughs> he says quite a bit back to Balak, but one verse I want to focus on, because he gives him a vision. He says, let me tell you what this people are going to do to you in the future. <laughs> not only you're not going to win now, but anyway. Um, so in verse 17 of chapter 24, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and batter the brow of Moab, and destroy all the sons of Tumult. So Balaam, Balaam is given a vision of the future. And obviously this refers to Messiah Yeshua. And we're going to discuss Yeshua in a minute, but for now let me finish up with Balaam, right? I mean... Um, Going back to 1 Corinthians 1, 27, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Is Balaam a foolish thing? To put to shame the wise Balak, Moab or the Midianites. I will argue that he was foolish. <laughs> Scriptures in the Brit Hadashah tell us that Balaam used his spiritual gift from the Lord, not only for financial gain, and it was Balaam, although this isn't actually recorded in this incident, Balaam told Balak to use the Moabite women to cause Israel to sin. It was that fornication that we'll get in the next section it causes much grief in Israel. Thousands die because of this advice now, did God put that into Balaam's mouth? He did not. So, there, that's, uh, and let, me, let me read to you, um, you know, so we know that it came from Scripture. Revelation 2, 14. There, there are several other Scriptures, and 2 Peter and, and Jude also reinforce the message. But in, in Revelation 2, 14, it says, But I have a few things against you because there, you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. So there's no debate about what happened. We have it in Scripture. We know exactly what happened. So Balaam didn't behave well, and sexual immorality causes problems. It's common today, but it causes problems, and it is not of the Lord. It led to death shortly thereafter these events, as I said. But it also, in a very short amount of time, led to the end of Balaam. So let's go there. Numbers 31, 6 through 8. Then Moses sent them to war, 1,000 from each tribe. He sent them to war with 
Pinchas, the son of Eleazar the priest, with the holy articles and the signal trumpets in his hand. And they warred against the Midianites, just as the Lord commanded Moses, and they killed all the males. They killed the kings of Midian with the rest of those that were killed. Evi, Rechem, Zur, Hur, and Ureba, five kings in Midian. And then as an afternote, Balaam, the son of Beor, they killed with the sword. So he didn't live long to enjoy the fruits of his uh, ill-gotten gain. Now, maybe we'll talk about it in Shabbaton as we go over the Torah portion. Why then did Balaam even do this? I mean, it was a battle he didn't need to fight. He seemed to have no... no uh, but he seemed very intent. He knew that he shouldn't have cursed them. He knew right up front. He knew what he was doing was wrong. But he did it anyway. So I kind of think of Balaam as an example of many in the believing body today who have honestly had a relationship with the Lord at one point. But they've degenerated that relationship into self-promotion and financial gain. Again, I think that's what's going on. And for that matter, Balak is sort of an example of misguided believers who follow these self-promoting prophets and, pot, and um, leader, in healers and whatever. Foolish Balaam shamed and destroyed Balak. Foolish Balak shamed his nation and the leaders of Midian. And there are foolish people living today following in the footsteps or footsteps of Balaam and Balak and shame supposed wise people in the believing body today. We need to do better. We need to avoid these charlatans. So let's go back now to the... I mean, he's actually given a vision of what's, where this is going. Before they even get into Israel, they're told about Messiah Yeshua. And let's, let's take this time here a second. Let's now consider Messiah Yeshua. And let me be clear up front. I'm not saying... Messiah Yeshua is simple. But his message is simple. And that simple message puts to shame the wisdom of the world. Actually, the context of the phrase that I keep pulling out to show the, the, the foolish shaming the wise, uh, let me read that entire section. It's not all that long. It's uh, verses 20 through 31 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made the foolish the wisdom of this world? It made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Messiah crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Messiah, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see, your calling, brethren, not that many wise according to the flesh, not that many, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to the shame with those with things which are mighty. And base things of the world and the things which are, despi are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not 
to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him, you are in Messiah Yeshua, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. So when we're talking about foolishness and wisdom, God is wisdom. And as long as we're with him, <laughs> we are in that. If we're not, we're foolish. Okay. John 12, 49. I thought this was an interesting connection. I thought it was interesting that Balaam was supposed to only say what the Father gave him. Well, who else do we know that that happened with? In, J in John 12, 49, for I have not spoken on my own authority, and this is Yeshua speaking, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. But unlike Balaam, he also, first off, he actually did that. He actually only said what God said today. But he also loves Israel like the Father loves Israel. If Balaam had just not attacked, but he couldn't. He didn't. But God loves us. And that is a simple message. In Romans 5, 8, we read, but God demonstrates his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Messiah died for us. So let me conclude with the final verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, which was part of our portion today. Starting at verse 30, but of him you are in Messiah Yeshua who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Let me pray now and then we'll, uh, we'll conclude. I'll do the Kiddush. So, Lord, we are grateful to you for showing us how to follow you. The simplicity of it seems to be a stumbling block for those in this world. But Lord, we know that although it's a simple message, it's a powerful and true message. And Lord, we are grateful to you and we want to follow you and we love you. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pinah Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 1040 a.m. each Shabbat. And we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpinah.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpinah.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.